You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Jonah goes unwillingly to Nineveh, where the most bitter enemies of his own people live. They are wicked, they are godless, they are ruthless. He doesn't want to go, but he finally does go after three days and three nights in a belly of a fish. And he preaches repentance, and the whole city of these godless people gets saved. Why? Because God loved them. And he loved them enough to send a prophet. Sometimes we forget to look outside of ourselves and see humanity as God sees it. He understands that this world is fallen and broken, but He also sees and loves all of those who have yet to confess their faith in Him. The only reason Jesus hasn't returned is because God wants as many people as possible to come to saving faith first. Today, Pastor Danny reminds us of the story of Jonah and how God sent him to a wicked people because He loved them. Maybe this is a lesson that we need to remember. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3 for today's edition of The Living Word. Verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 3, dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Uh, It means to arouse your mind by way of remembrance. I want you to recall verse 2, the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. So we got to pause there just for a minute because he's saying, I want you to recall. First of all, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets. So put a marker right there in 2 Peter and go with me and let's take a little prophetic tour starting with Isaiah. Find Isaiah in the Old Testament. When you find Isaiah, go to chapter 13. Chapter 13, just some sample verses. Now, Isaiah, it's a large prophetic book. He has a lot to say. And the basic emphasis of his message is uh, judgment is coming, and if you don't repent, you're in trouble. But in light of that message, there's also another message. But look, chapter 16 or chapter 13, uh, verse 6 Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It'll come like a destruction from the Almighty. Because of this, all hands will go limp. Every man's heart will melt. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will ride like a woman in labor. They'll look aghast at each other. Their faces aflame. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. Verse 13, I'll make the heavens tremble. The earth will shake from its place at the wrath 
of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. Those are sobering words. Those are warnings. Judgment is coming. But while there are those words, you go back to Isaiah chapter 2, and you have quite a different message. This message is for those who will heed the warning, repent, and be saved. Look what it says. Verse 2, chapter 2, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It'll be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people, something no politician is able to do presently. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Catch this. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. For those who will repent, there's a glorious future ahead. You might be familiar with Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. For those who repent, glorious future ahead. You turn to the right, you go past Isaiah, next stop, the prophet Jeremiah. When you find Jeremiah, go to Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 17. At that time they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. It's a new day. But the context that that's set in is, again, a lot of words of warning. A lot of judgment is coming. But for those who repent, good news. As a matter of fact, <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 15. In those days and at that time, I'll make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. That's Messiah. That's Christ. He'll do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it'll be called. The Lord, our righteousness. Those words, again, in the context of a lot of warning, judgment is coming, you need to repent. Well, you turn right, you go past Jeremiah, and the next stop past Lamentations is the prophet Ezekiel. When you find Ezekiel, go all the way to Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel 33, verse 11. And let me just say, Ezekiel is writing also, and a lot of what he has to say, words of warning, judgment is coming, you need to repent, you need to be saved. Ezekiel 33, verse 11. Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no delight in the pleasure, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die? God wants you to be saved. Ezekiel chapter 47, which I wish I had the time to read the whole chapter in 47. Let me just tell you what it says. Ezekiel sees a vision of the future, the glorious future for those who repent and are saved. There's a river coming from the temple where Jesus is ruling and reigning there in Jerusalem. A river that gets deeper and deeper. 
Verse 7, he says, when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the Arabah where it enters the sea. That is the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea. Right now, the Dead Sea, nothing lives in the Dead Sea. That's why they call it the Dead Sea. There's coming a day when this river that flows from the temple will go down and flow into the Dead Sea. And if you read the rest of it, it says that when it flows into the Dead Sea, the water becomes fresh. And listen, the fish, verse 10, will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. That's the Mediterranean. So the water becomes fresh, but it has saltwater fish in it. I can't wait. It says there'll be fishermen on both sides of the Dead Sea, and they're going to be fishing and catching, and it's going to be glorious. (laughs) I can't wait. But only those who repent have that glorious hope and that glorious fishing experience. You go past Ezekiel and you stop next at Daniel. When you find Daniel, go to Daniel chapter 2. Let me tell you what's happening here. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has a dream. It troubles him. He wants to know what the dream means. Nobody can tell him until Daniel is brought before him. And God gives Daniel the interpretation of the dream. Verse 31, Daniel chapter 2. Daniel says, you looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue. An enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head was made of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, feet partly of iron, partly of baked clay. While you were watching the statue, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them, and the whole thing comes tumbling down. The rock cut out, but not by human hands, is Christ. The interpretation of the dream Neb, you're the head of gold. You're the king of Babylon. And boy, he thought he was something. Is this not in the great Babylon that I have built? He's a big man, like the big statue that he sees. But your kingdom will crumble. You will fall. Another kingdom will rise. And that kingdom will then fall. And then another kingdom will rise. And then another kingdom will rise. And ultimately, all those kingdoms will be smashed by the rock cut out, but not by human hands, Christ. And he will set up a kingdom that will endure forever and ever and ever and ever. Look in the middle, verse 44, it'll crush all those kingdoms, bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. Middle of verse 45, the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. Now, go to Daniel chapter 7. Let me tell you what happens here. Daniel has a dream that's very troubling. He sees four beasts. The first, verse 4, was like a lion. The second, verse 5, was like a bear. The third, verse 6, was like a leopard. And the fourth, verse 7, Before me was a fourth beast, terrifying, frightening, very powerful, had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims, trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. And as he's thinking about the ten horns, he sees another horn come up from within them. That's Antichrist. And he's allowed power for a period of time. But then verse 9, as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. Its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. That's the angelic host. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were open. Then he continues to watch as the 
horn is speaking these boastful words. And then he saw the beast being slain, thrown into the blazing fire. You read about that in Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, where the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. Verse 13 is very significant. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. That's Christ in his second coming. Christ, when he stood before the Supreme Court of his day, and he made them really mad because he said to them, among other things, and you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. They knew he was referring to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I want you to trust me that Daniel's dream of the four beasts has the exact same interpretation as Neb's dream of the giant, enormous statue, but they're given in those two different forms because from... Neb's view, he's a big dude, but he don't know how small he is. But from heaven's view, he's a beast. And all the godless kingdoms that don't acknowledge the God of heaven will one day fall. They will one day crumble. And the king of kings and lord of lords will come and he will set up his kingdom and his reign and his rule will be endless, will be forever. Praise the Lord. Maybe you're getting the drift here. When you leave Daniel, you turn to the right. The next prophet is Hosea. You go all the way to Hosea chapter 13. In the context of, again, warning, 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 judgment is coming. If you don't repent, you won't be saved. You'll be damned. And in the context of that, verse 14, for those who listen, and heed and are saved, I'll ransom them from the power of the grave. I'll redeem them from death. Where, O oh, death, are your plagues? Where, O oh, grave, is your destruction? You're saved. You turn to the right, not very far, you're at Joel. The prophet Joel, chapter 2, verse 1, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill, let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains. A large and mighty army comes such as never was of old, nor ever will be in the ages to come. Before them fire devours, behind them a flame blazes. But then you get to chapter 3, verse 21. For those who listen and heed and repent, their blood guilt, which I have not pardoned, I will pardon. The Lord dwells in Zion, and you'll dwell with him. Next prophet to the right is Amos. You go to Amos chapter 5, verse 18. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It'll be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. As though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? And then God blasts them because of all their religious feasts and their religiousness, but their unwillingness to repent despite their religiosity. And the warning is the same. And the message is the same. Chapter 9, Amos, verse 11, And that day I'll restore David's fallen tent. Verse 15, last verse, I'll plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I've given them, says the Lord your God, for those who will repent. Glorious future, glorious hope. And then you get to that little prophet writing of Obadiah. Little, but not unimportant. Obadiah, verse 15, the day of the Lord is near for all nations. Verse 17, but on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It'll be holy, and the house of Jacob will possess its 
inheritance. Verse 21, deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's, and you'll be with him if you repent. We don't need to read from Jonah. I think we all know the story. Jonah goes unwillingly to Nineveh, where the most bitter enemies of his own people live. They are wicked. They are godless. They are ruthless. He doesn't want to go, but he finally does go after three days and three nights in a belly of a fish. And he preaches repentance, and the whole city of these godless people gets saved. Why? Because God loved them. And he loved them enough to send a prophet and warn them. And they listened. They heeded. And they were saved. And I'm going to see all those people in heaven. That's amazing, isn't it? And then you get to Micah. Micah chapter 1, verse 3, look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads the high places of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him. The valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the house of Israel. Say, same message. Hey, your sin is going to bring the judgment of God, but if you will repent, God will forgive. God will save. Micah chapter 4, verse 1, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It'll be raised above the hills. We read that in Isaiah. It goes on to say the very same thing. Settle disputes for strong nations. Beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. What a great message. What a great hope. You turn to the right from Nahum. Our next prophetic stop, or I'm sorry, from Micah, is Nahum. Nahum chapter 1, verse 2, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes, maintains his wrath against his enemies. But then it says the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished. But he is slow to anger. And the message in Nahum, same thing, two sides. One is, <laughs> if you don't repent... You're headed for damnation, but if you, if you do repent, glorious hope, glorious, glorious future. And then you get Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1, let me just tell you what happens. Habakkuk is complaining. Lord, when are you going to put an end to all this godlessness I see around me? When are you going to put an end to it? And God answers, but he doesn't like the answer. I'm going to bring judgment through the Babylonians. And the message is still the same. Judgment is coming, but if you'll repent... God will forgive. You can be saved. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16, I'll wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, I'll rejoice in the Lord. Because he has hope beyond the present world. Then you get to Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 1. Sounds very familiar. You're probably tired of hearing it. You got to hear it again anyway. Verse 2, I'll sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I'll sweep away both men and animals. I'll sweep away the birds, I'll, the fish of the sea. The wicked will only have heaps of rubble when I cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. And yet, same message of hope, of forgiveness of an opportunity to experience the last part of chapter 2, verse 11. The nations on every shore will worship him, everyone in its own land. Glorious future. 
Then you pass Haggai, and you get to Zechariah. And Zechariah prophesies in chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, in the tribulation period, verse 8, and the whole land declares the Lord, two-thirds of Israel will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. This third I'll bring into the fire. They'll be refined like silver and tested like gold. They'll call on the name, on my name, and I'll answer them. I'll say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. And then you get to the last prophet, Malachi. And as you find Malachi, you look in chapter 4. Verse 1, surely the day is coming, it'll burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them, but for you who revere my name, those who repent, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you'll go out and leap like calves released from the stall. And then you'll trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. That's what Peter wanted us to recall, to stimulate our minds to wholesome thinking. Back in 2 Peter 3, verse 2 again, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets. That's just a sampling of their words. And the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. What command? I'm going to suggest one to you. Find Matthew's gospel, the first of the New Testament, and go to chapter 24. Don't have time to read the whole chapter. Let me tell you what's happening here. The disciples come to Jesus and call his attention to the beauty of the buildings of Herod's temple, which he built for the Jewish people to get their support. And as they call Jesus' attention to the beautiful buildings, here's what he says, verse 2. Do you see all these things? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. That took them aback. That literally happened. We have the historical record, 70 AD, Titus, the Roman general, and his army. They came in, ransacked Jerusalem. Not one stone in the temple was left upon another. Literally happened. They think he's talking about the end of the world as they know it. So they say on the Mount of Olives, uh, tell us, verse 3, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so he obliges them, and he gives sign after sign after sign. We're not going to read through all the signs that he gives. I want our attention focused beginning in verse 36. Here's what Jesus says. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And every time I read this next verse, let me just read it. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That, that, every time I read it, I get this nervousness, this anxiousness, this, what do you mean they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood took them all away? For 120 years, Noah had been warning them, judgment is coming, judgment is coming, you need to repent. If you do not repent, you will be damned. But you don't have to be. And 120 years while he's saying that to them, he's building the very means for their escape, for their salvation. He's building the ark. But after 120 years of warning them and building the means 
of everyone having the opportunity to be saved, only eight people get in the ark. Only eight. We're so thankful you tuned in for today's edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. As we continue to learn from the book of 2 Peter together, we pray that this study challenges you to live a life more like Christ. Peter walked with Jesus for three years, and he had the opportunity to see firsthand what it means to live like Jesus. Aren't you glad we have his writings to help us grow in our faith? If you'd like to hear more teachings like this from Pastor Danny or hear today's message again, head on over to our website, ccfstpete.church. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to be notified when we post anything new. And if you're ever in or near the St. Petersburg area, we would love to meet you. At Calvary Chapel Fellowship, the church behind this ministry, we meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and again on Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m. It's an incredible time of worship and Bible study. You can find directions and more by going to our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. If you're unable to join us in person, we also offer a live stream of our weekend services. Just visit our website and click on the link in the menu. Pastor Danny has more to share from this series, so we hope you'll tune in again next time. We're glad to know that you're a part of our listening audience, and we're praying for you. We hope that you'll continue to tune in as we learn more from 2 Peter right here on The Living Word.